Welcome to NetSmart Care Threads, a podcast where human services and post-acute leaders across the healthcare continuum come together to discuss industry trends, challenges, and opportunities. Listen as we uncover real stories about how to innovate and improve the quality of care for the communities we serve. Let's get into the show. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Mike Valentine, and I am your host today. And I happen to be in New York City. And so I uh, arranged to be with two individuals that are leaders here in the New York area with some providers that cover a broad pass of services across the New York City region and beyond. And they're at a minimum experts in technology and also uh, branching out into other areas as well. So I thought while I was here, we would gather and maybe cover some things that are really important and front of mind for them in the near term and that are being driven by the markets here in New York. And then just broadly, from a technology standpoint, what are some of the trends and focus areas for them and their organizations as they move forward? So um, first, I'll do introductions. Uh, Hao Wang is the Chief Information Officer for ICL, which is the Institute for Community Living. So Hao, why don't you uh, give a little bit of your background and uh, talk to us a little bit about what ICL does? Well, first of all, Mike, thank you for uh, inviting me to this wonderful conversation. I hope that I will learn from you and uh, uh, you today as well. ICL is a wonderful organization founded about 35 years ago. This year is actually our 35 uh, anniversary, right? So it's an important year. We currently serve over uh, between 12,000 to 14,000 people, uh, New Yorkers in the city. We have 55 program locations, approximately. So I came from a diverse background, and I really, uh, a few things make me proud related to our topic today is I did serve our state government for seven or eight years, uh, and uh, about four years of that, I was a deputy commissioner for Office of Mental Health, which touched on a lot of human service issues throughout the states. I knew New York City really well, and we had our field office here, and we had many providers here. Back then, I was on the other side. So uh, it's really uh, a fun topic for me to discuss about uh, the topic today. And other things, I did uh, spend my career with Accenture, with uh, Massachusetts. I did a few things um, that I do feel has some minimal impact to the industry. Uh, I did help Massachusetts build one of the first house information exchange about 20 years ago. And that was something I I was working with the payer as well. So then with Accenture, I have been consulting with providers. So I touched on the provider space, the payer space, the public health, and I did spend a few years for uh, life science. So uh, that's uh, basically my um sampling of the healthcare industry. I hope that that contributes to technology discussion today. Okay, perfect. Thank you for that. Now, uh, also joining us is Uday Madasu, and Uday's been with uh, the Jewish Board of Family and Child Services for how long now, Uday? 10 years. 10 years. So, uh, and uh, started off as Chief Information Officer and now stepped into the Chief Administrative Officer role. So why don't you give us the backdrop on uh, the Jewish board and um, the broad service of the city here? 
Sure, definitely. First of all, uh, it's always great to see you in person, Mike, and uh, welcome to our agency, How It's good to uh, see you also in person. Excited to be here. Appreciate the invite. So the Jewish Board is New York City's largest health and human services agency. We've been doing this work for over 100 years. Um, we are roughly 3,000 employee agency. We serve about 45,000 clients, predominantly across the five boroughs of New York City. We offer lots of different services to uh, individuals and communities that live around the five boroughs of New York City. We, we run outpatient mental health clinics. We run PROS programs. We are in the uh, children's residential services and non-residential services business. We have a very large portfolio of programs for preventive services. We are actually New York City's largest recipient of preventive service contracts. Um, and we have other services that we provide that are sort of a little more narrowly focused on certain segments of populations. For example, we have some programs that we run to help the Orthodox Jewish community out in Brooklyn. We have programming there for uh, in, uh, individuals who live with intellectual developmental disabilities. So as you look at the Jewish Board, it's a very large and uh, complex organization. We are constantly trying to figure out what can we do to help the individuals and communities that we uh, work with every day. My role um, at the agency has evolved over the last uh, 10 years. I started out here as the chief information officer, did lots of work to basically kickstart the digital transformation journey in our agency. Um, and for the last couple of months, I've been working in the role of a chief administrative officer. So in my new role, I'm responsible for not just IT, but corporate compliance, quality improvement, transformation. And uh, since that is not enough, I also got involved with uh, supporting our HR team. So it's been fun. I'm learning uh, lots of things that I haven't had a chance to uh, work on. Um, right now, our focus at our agency really is around two broad themes. We are focusing on improving our staff experience and we are equally focused on improving our client experience. And we are doing everything possible in addition to leveraging technology to make progress on those two fronts. So that's our focus for, uh, for now. Very cool. And so 35 years, how long is Jewish? About 145 board? years for the Jewish board. All right, so they're gonna win. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, so NetSmart, this is our 54th year. So uh, somewhere in between. Okay, perfect. Um, good context. So let's let's hop right in. If you had to think about your organization and um, the priorities relative to technology and kind of impact areas for technology, what what would be the one, two, or three things that you'd say are the the windshield right now, the priorities for your organization? I'll uh, how I'll let you you start off. All right. Uh, Thank you. I, I think, you know, I also want to hear from you a, a bit later. The time of your question is perfect because we just came out of a pandemic. Uh, we had a lot of distress, uh, not only consumer side of distress, but provider side. Uh, we're short on staff. We have to cope with working remotely. Uh, the workspace has been redefined in the last two years. So these are our current challenge and also give us uh, opportunity to imagine, reimagine next few years what we could have been doing. So uh, if you ask me to name three, I would say we need a good technology to help our clinicians to do their job better and quicker and make their life easier. It's tough for them uh, in the last two years. 
Then the second thing would be we want our client to have better outcome. Uh, then that requires data analytics, requires AI, requires other tools that we're going to touch about, such as the Internet of Medical Things, right? So then, then lastly, I, I think for our workforce, uh, we do need to embrace telehealth and we do need to embrace uh, additional technology-enabled assistance so that they can uh, learn better, they can evolve quickly, and they can adapt to the new working environment. So that's my pick. Yeah, that's that's great, How So I'm similarly aligned. Um, so I'll talk from our sort of two broad areas. So on the client experience side, we are definitely going to go along on uh, virtual care. We did plenty of it to cope with the pandemic. We are seeing huge increase in demand for the kind of services that we provide. And I think embracing the telehealth platforms are going to make it easier and uh, improve both our uh, reach and access to serving more clients in our communities. Along those lines, in order for us to do a better job of helping our clients, we are going to bank on doing more analytics work. We've got to really understand how to evaluate the efficacy of the work we are doing. We want to know that the work we are doing for our clients is actually helping them. It's making a difference for them. So we want to become much more data-driven, outcome-focused as an agency providing services. On the staff side, you, uh, you're absolutely right. I think we are certainly in the middle of a workforce recruitment and retention crisis. People are getting burnt out for a number of reasons. So I think the onus is on us as large provider agencies to really understand how to make it easier for our staff to provide services to our clients and take care of our clients. There, the, the focus for us is going to be around automation. We want to make it easier for people to do their job. I almost want to get to a point where a typical social work graduate that comes out of any social work school in New York City wants to come and work at the Jewish board because they've heard that we make it easier for them to do their jobs at Jewish board. So our focus is going to be on really figuring out how to make technology work for our clinicians, for our administrative staff. It's got to become easier. It's got to become much more frictionless, and that's going to be our focus. So um, let me let me parse because you two, you both went in similar directions. One of the things that both of you said was really how do you use data to drive both efficiencies and then outcomes? And you know, outcomes in this part of healthcare is is a hard thing because sometimes it's defined by payers, sometimes it's defined by clinical constituencies, efficiencies is a little bit easier measurement because you can, you know, you can get back to the old time study and say, if I do it this way versus I do it this way, I can drive time back into the clinician's hand. So I think everyone understands that. But when you think about outcomes, how are your organizations, how, how do you center around that? Is that a driven by how you get reimbursed or is that driven by a combination of that and clinical constituencies and councils within your organization? So for us, that work is driven by a couple of different factors. So clearly, we are bound by regulatory requirements, right? So our funders and payers are asking us to do certain things so that they know that they're paying for good services and uh, services that provide good outcomes. The way we are going to do this work is by using evidence-based models. So for example, in the preventive service area, just about every preventive service contract comes with 
free package deliverables around client outcomes. So the only way to do that work is you have to use evidence-based models that have been tried and tested. And the evidence-based model is very prescriptive in how you deliver services, what are the metrics you're going to look for, how you're going to monitor them, measure them, and how you're going to analyze them and where you're going to make adjustments. So the way we are going to focus on client outcomes is to start with implementing more evidence-based models mm -hmm. so that we can become very laser focused on making sure that we are doing all the right things over a period of time so that they have the intended effect. So our, our focus is going to be on implementing as many evidence-based models as we can. How about your world? Thank you. That I really agree with the evidence-based model there. Uh, and you know, back to your question, is our outcome-driven culture is um, you know abiding towards reimbursement or abiding towards something else? I think you know absolutely we are focusing on the whole health of our client. Uh, you know, I see all adopt a trip model, you know, trauma-informed, patient-centered, recovery-oriented care. So all of our outcome measures are based on clients' health. Then, of course, like a Jewish board, we have diverse service portfolios for folks with um, supported housing folks. We have one set of outcome for folks come to our clinics, Article 31. Now, most likely, you know, we'll have Article 32. And we have another set of outcome and uh, similar to Jewish board. And we monitor outcomes for our individuals, whether it's their BMIs, whether there's, uh, you know, blood pressures, A1Cs their visits to our P, uh, PCP, is there any adverse events? We monitor all that and then we use that to guide our care. And uh, we have excellent clinicians and they um, adopt all these outcome driven uh, culture in, in our care delivery. So I think the answer is absolutely whole house based patient centered outcome measure. Yeah. One of the things, so we're, and that's why we're working with Verily, the Google arm to essentially take some of their machine learning capabilities and apply it against a condition or a set of conditions in our world. So they, one of the things that they're most known for is they took those algorithms, applied it against a congestive heart failure condition, and they were able to basically, by taking in a broader data set than would normally be consumed by a caregiver, they were able to create care models that tighten the, it didn't change the end outcome necessarily, but it tightened the variance along the journey. And that led to, you know, a much better patient experience, less cost, and, you know, better outcomes along, all along the way. We're doing that on the suicide prevention. Is there a way of studying broad data sets to trigger? Uh, and I think that's a work in progress. So we're, you know, in a pilot phase right now. And but the notion of machine learning, we've seen it work in other parts of healthcare. Where it's worked, it's been more of a, a rifle shot, right? So it's a very specific problem, not trying to boil the ocean, but it manifests itself in having some sort of agent work against a broad set of data and then ideally trigger some kind of action at the point of service level. That's one example of things that we're thinking about. I know you all have touched on artificial intelligence and in your worlds and in your past and even the you know automation through robotics and things of that nature what applications do you see being viable 
in our parts of care or even directly into your organization, you know, in the next one to five years? Um, well, uh, AI is really a complex and a broad concept, right? So there, like you mentioned, in medical care, there were uh, spots of success in the past. You know, for example, one example uh, project I did about five years ago was to help a large uh, tertiary clinical laboratory to automatically screening cervical cancer images, right? So the, the company actually had 20 million per year cervical cancer images. You know, if we all resort to the pathologist, you would know that each pathologist probably read like 20 images per day. You can see a thousand pathology needed to process that. And that, that sample set is growing. So AI did succeed there, right? AI does have, you know, our computing imaging, uh, the knowledge we um, accumulated, we're able to prevent the false um, negatives and make sure we had a reasonable success for 70% of the screening images, right? So you don't have to have labor costs associated with the screening. All those images has no issues, right? So, so that's an example of AI being successful. The other example you just mentioned, and you know, you did tap into the, uh, the emotion analysis, the analysis of their text or internet post would identify uh, risk towards suicide, right? Then, then I think the it's Harvard and MIT study is that during the pandemic, that risk increased about, can be quantifiable, yeah. can, uh, about 30%. That was also the result of AI. And for our world, right, in, in terms of uh, human services, I think the challenge one, on one side is we can analyze that, but that data usually go beyond the organization's boundary. And how do we feed back that data effectively to the care cycle? is inconclusive so far because our our system's not built to uh, to identify somebody has suicide intention in the, in the community and try to interject our intervention right away. So that is, has not been worked out. But what I think can be successful application of AI in our field is this virtual assistant. I look at our clinicians every day, they struggle spending time there's many clients waiting for them taken care of, but you know they have to struggle about appointments, about completing notes, completing uh, encounter, and all that thing amounts to a very stretched uh, workload. Uh, I think it's a very easy, quick win uh, for the AI is let's help our clinicians. Mm -hmm. Let's release our, our, their energy away from these mundane tasks because, you know, Things can be easily, if we, we want to put an order to a, a client, either it's a lab or medication, usually take a physician, uh, you know, a few seconds to write it down or just speak it out. And I hope the AI can take it from there. So they don't have to, you know, rummage through all these forms and pages and try to make sure they're all fit and they all spelled correctly. So I think that's one area I felt we can be very successful and uh, we haven't. Yeah. You, you may not be familiar with this, Shaw, but we, um, NetSmart, went down this path just recently, and the, our focus was on progress notes because the volume of progress notes is the one thing that every clinician or caregiver, regardless, if you can impact that in a positive way, both from you know the amount of time that it takes and to does it result in 
the accuracy that you're looking for. So does it translate into the code you want? Does it translate into the messaging you want? So we, we launched a tool called Bells, which essentially is a, a use of AI against a progress note. And it works a lot like Grammarly does. So Grammarly just basically gives you these hints. And when you said this, did you really mean this? Or And what it's done is it's driven, you know, 40% efficiency and ton of uh, satisfaction around the number one thing that they would all complain of. I don't like doing this. I do. I spend the end of my days doing all this. And I don't want to do that. And so your your point is that on if you could take the the sophistication of the technology and benefit the high volume nature of a function, it's a huge win. You know, as a technology provider, our bias is we don't want to deal with evidence-based medicine. We want someone else to go figure out evidence-based content. We want to figure out how to digitize it and automate it and put it into workflows in partnership with whoever the smart people are that create the, the clinical content and then come behind it with what, how do we leverage technology to give time back to people and I always use the analogy, I've been doing electronic health records for over 25 years now. Generation one was you digitized everything, which effectively turned everyone in the organization into a data entry clerk, which they really loved. Generation two started to give some view of that data back to the, the consumers of the, the technology. And generation three ought to be what are you doing to make their job easier, better, you know, the, the organization's faster uh, because of it? I think, you know, I just want to build on what you just said, Mike, you know, the value for AI, the first wave should be releasing, uh, you know, freeing our clinicians from doing mundane work. Uh, but the, the added value on top of that would be imagining that when you type into the, your Grammarly for healthcare, then uh, all of a sudden, because based on best practice in the literature, they could suggest certain things yeah. that you might not have recognized it or realized at this moment, that would directly contribute to the outcome of the care and quality of the care. Exactly. Uday, how about, how about in your world? So we started our journey with AI a few years ago, but we did it from an administrative support area perspective because we weren't quite sure what the application was on the clinical side for clients, right? So we took some areas that we thought would be easier wins as we are thinking about how to apply this concept. So one of the things we did is uh, we worked with our uh, uh, IT services partner and we created AI ops platform. So we currently have the ability to run our critical infrastructure with almost zero incidents. We get in front of managing all of our critical infrastructure so that people in our agency don't have to worry about things like downtime. This is not working because the network is down or infrastructure is down, right? So, so that was our beginning of implementing AI in a way that it still helped the agency free up resources that, that could be deployed in a different way because we still had to maintain critical infrastructure. For the last couple of years, we've taken AI and started thinking about solving problems from a staff experience perspective, right? So we are currently working with a few partners that are trying to use machine learning and use data sets that are beyond just agency to help with staff recruitment and retention. We want to know when our staff are thinking about leaving our agency so that we can intervene with them and make sure that we are not losing good staff. Right? So we are using 
the concept of machine learning or natural language processing in a slightly different way because we needed to figure out how to apply those tools, if you will, into helping our clients, right? Another easy win for us was to use um, machine learning from a cybersecurity perspective, right? When you're thinking about cybersecurity, you get a lot of noise. So to be able to have an algorithm that really does a good job of correlation, filtering out false positives, and really giving you the things that you have to focus on from a risk management, that becomes very critical, especially nowadays with the remote workforce where we've got a third of our agency that's working from home. So our security footprint has exploded. So for us, that was, an, again, an easy win of using these advanced technologies to figure out how to secure our environment. From a client perspective, I do agree that as we are focusing on both client experience and staff experience, that's our next foray. Um, for example, one of the things that we have to keep in mind, I think, as large providers in, in complicated communities like New York City is the healthcare services that we provide are going retail very, very fast, right? When 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 you have folks like United Healthcare, CVS, when they start, and you know, Amazon is certainly continuing to try it. When they start getting into providing healthcare delivery, we are going to look like we got stuck in a time warp, right? How agile are we going to be able to respond to folks that want healthcare just like you know they want to use their iPhone? That's going to require us to think very differently about who we are, what we do, and how we do that. And that's where I think the application of AI in transforming that experience, not only for our clinicians, but also for our clients, is going to, I think, become critical. And it's something that I don't think we can stay away from for a very long time. We'll have to insert ourselves into that conversation. Let me, um, let me take something both of you brought up, which is everyone in the industry views access to talent, the workforce, how you keep and retain talent as probably the number one priority over the next couple of years, given the context of, of what we just been through. Um, when you think about the role technology can play in that, where do you see it helping the most? Is it a, we use it to retract and retain, or is it, I'm going to focus more on how to make their lives easier so they'll, they'll stick with me longer or some combination of the two? Or how, how do you really view technology playing a role in that scenario? For us at our agency, I think it's going to become our competitive advantage. We are going to have to bank on leveraging technology to make it easier for people to join our organization, make it, make it easier for, for people to work at our organization so that they don't think about going somewhere else. Uh, and we are going to be banking a lot on figuring out how to use technology with that workforce experience. Uh, we are making investments in um, automating a lot of the workflow processing, especially bringing people in the recruitment process, the talent acquisition process, the onboarding process. We are, by virtue of who we are and what we do, heavily regulated. So there are things that we have to do, like credentialing, background clearance and checking. A lot of these things are inevitable. We have to do them, but there's a lot of redundancy. There's a lot of complexity. And I think automation is a way to ease the pain both for our staff internally that are working with folks in the communities and also for folks in the communities that want to come and join our agency. So we are going to go long on specifically workforce technologies. And I'll throw a couple of other examples. So recently we partnered with a very interesting company that basically is going to help us really think differently about our uh, 
engagement and experience process, right? We want to know what our staff are thinking, what our staff like, what our staff don't like. So we want to be able to make it easier to get their feedback so that we can figure out iteratively where do we make need to make small adjustments so that we can keep moving the needle. Um, so we engaged with a uh, platform provider that's going to really make it easier for us to ask questions, get feedback, convert that feedback into action. We are uh, working with another partner that's going to help us bring the concept of conversational AI into workforce optimization, right? So, so for example, we spend a lot of time, energy, and effort on training our staff to learn how to use the EHR, how to use the HR payroll system. So we are looking at digital adoption platforms that make it easier for people to learn how to use the tools that we have invested in. So we are going to really bank on different kinds of workforce technologies to really make it easy for people to work at the Jewish board. That's fascinating. And uh, I think it doesn't go unnoticed by, by your troops when you're spending you know, a good portion of your energies on what does it take to make you successful. I think it sends a, a great signal in the time of the great resignation or renovation, however you want to look at it. How, what are your comments on the same topic? Sure. I, I think Uday got it right for the competitive advantage. If we have a tool that the clinicians, our employees, would like to use and better than others, they tend to stay with us. Then there's a, a few more dimensions of how technology can help the workforce grow, right? One is that because of the, uh, the changing of the workspace, we need them to feel that not only they work faster, but also they work safer, right? So for remote working remote, we need to have all those technology around how to protect them, protect our clients, protect our information, and make sure we have provide them with the agility to work anywhere, but securely in compliance uh, and work with our client seamlessly. And then the other dimension would be, uh, how do we help them ramp up quicker, uh, right? I, I like that. Uh, I would imagine that EMR not only help uh, the user adapt to it quicker, but also uh, constantly uh, train and constantly help the user to forget about it's a tool and become more of a human extension. So I, I think those things will add up to a, a great uh, modern workspace with tools that they don't want to leave. Right? Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah, no, I think that, you know, the, the safety example strikes a chord with me. And I'll give you an example. Another client brought up, it was a home care provider. and like everyone else, the notion of electronic visit verification is becoming, you know, going to be, I think, more of a norm for everyone to register. Here's where I am and here's where the service took place and here's where it ended from a reimbursement perspective. But the, the interesting thing that they were doing is they had a, a, a wrist bracelet that was able to connect to the visit verification app. And so if you ever were uncomfortable, a caregiver was ever uncomfortable, Instead of going to their app, which they may not be able to do, they can um, connect to the bracelet. They can click on a bracelet, sends a, you know, effectively a, a help me type message back to the system so that they can take, you know, action. Um, and it made a huge difference with the caregivers knowing that because they, they immediately, every caregiver on the planet, when they tell them you're going to track them with GPS, they're like, I don't want you to track me with GPS. And many of them are using their own devices. But when you flip it around and say, we're going to provide a great service, <laughs> we'll be watching you. 
um, it, it changed the, the whole mindset very quickly. Yeah, actually, I want to build on what you just said that about another dimension to the technology, how, how technology assists our workers, the Internet of Medical Things. Yeah. I think uh, if we make the data abundantly available to the caregivers, and if we uh, relieve them from go and measure their height, their weight, their blood pressure, that would be a great, great liberation, right? right. So, you know, uh, I believe in the short and medium term, this uh, home, uh, you know, wearables, medical devices, you know, if we could make those data uh, at the fingertip of our clinicians, then they can waive the need to go to make a visit. They can do a lot more thinking around how to make our client better. I think that's a quality boost if we could do it right. So. Yeah. Yeah, I think people would agree that you save one visit and that technology pays for itself pretty quickly. One visit per day or per, per period. Well, good. Um, this has been a great conversation. And uh, the, good, the good news for me is uh, we're having dinner later on tonight. And so I can continue the conversation. But what I thought I would end with is, you know, if you're going into 2023, you know, what is, uh, you know, everyone's been busy with the pandemic you know, the virtualization of care and then maybe some reel back with it, the creation and the proliferation of CCBHC models, funding of that coming in a year or so, or more funding. If you look back over the last 12 months, you know, what's a quick win that you would share? You may have not known it was going to be a quick win going into it, but it was a, something that was a, a win for you and your organization that you would share with, with everyone else. Uh, I think the quick win for us was uh, telehealth. I mean, we were an agency that was, you know, doing this work for a very long time, and we convinced ourselves that this cannot be done virtually. Everybody has to come and be in person in the room to be able to provide mental health, behavioral health services. And I think the pandemic proved us wrong. So for us, the win was being able to very, very quickly embrace adapt, adopt, and start implementing telehealth. We are still in our clinics providing 80 to 85% of our services virtually. And the clients love it. Our providers love it. Now we can do better with it. I think we can make the experience much more integrated, seamless. But for us, that's a quick win. And we are going to continue to invest in improving that experience. So telehealth for us is a no-brainer. And I think it's going to be the future. And for you, has reimbursement reeled back any of those telehealth services? Not yet, but uh, we know that's coming. There was a lot of regulatory relaxation that was put into place that's still, you know, in the state of New York, uh, I think it's going to continue till the end of this year. And then we are going to see it changing, not necessarily pulling back. I think they're going to become a little more stricter in terms of their expectations around how telehealth services are provided and how they're going to get reimbursed. Uh, I don't know necessarily, we haven't heard that the cost of reimbursement is going to go down yet, but certainly I think uh, at least in the managed care world, they're going to try to figure out, you know, how do we tighten the strings, if you will. But we are going to continue to bank on getting better at delivering more and more services virtually. And, you know, I, um, I agree with you. There's going to be this give and take. One thing that I predict is coming, which also I think validates the the need to have some level of integration of telehealth with your, you know, at a minimum, your billing system, 
I think this notion of visit verification is coming to telehealth because the amount of perceived fraud during the pandemic of how many telehealth visits really took place, you know, just because you scheduled it and you, you know, did, did it really happen? And so this notion of maybe capturing frames periodically through a televisit, I, I think that telehealth stays where it is, especially in the, the mental health and human services world. I think some level of audit is going to follow in behind it or verification. Anyway, I bet you cook on that. What? Uh, how about you? What's uh, been a quick win over the last 12 months or so? Uh, yeah, I, I, I like your answer. Uh, I think telehealth is here to stay. I would just go back to what we mentioned earlier. The quick win should be the virtual assistant function. Virtual assistant could be administrative assistant, you know, uh, relieve our workers or our clinicians from the mayhem of making appointments, uh, you know, managing no-shows. And these are simple tasks that technology can easily do it right. right. And we, uh, virtual sense also um, implies you have better best practice in future knowledge, you know, clinical uh, decision support tools so that during the process, either you enter your progress notes better, uh, more accurate, or you have more workflow uh, efficiency building out of that. That's another uh, assistant. And of course, the virtual assistant also become the billing assistant. Yeah. Right? So, you know, you don't, you don't want our clinicians to meet her on time and, you know, to manage and to show proof, right? The system should itself tell us, you know, how long you took care of somebody and what it was for and everything should integrate together to support the billing as well. So yeah. that's really, I thought it's a lessons from last two years. I believe it's a big win for the next two years. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree. And uh, one of the things is, where do you start? What are, what are the most impactful areas? And one of the areas that NetSmart is focused on is that whole billing piece because of all the manual steps. So even, you know, you don't have to have that much sophistication. It's just literally we're asking the billing teams to, uh, you know, log into a separate system to, to do eligibility or to, to see if a claims check a claim status or, you know, resubmit a claim or, you know, this state reporting requirement. So when you talk about Amazon coming to your part of healthcare, can't wait for them to deal with Medicaid reporting in the state of New York and, you know, the 1500 programs that they may stumble across along the way. But yeah, I think it's a target-rich environment, and I think it's key to pick your battles in, in the right way because everything can be automated at some level, but what is really impactful for the audience that we're, we're trying to target. So anything else that you'd like to add before we wrap up here in the Big Apple? So the one thing that uh, I want the NetSmart folks to think about is, you know, I'm looking at on the table here, all of us are using, for the most part, iPhones, and we all probably like using Siri on our iPhones. Our staff are actually asking us, where is the Siri for uh, my EHR, right? They want to be able to talk to the EHR to get work done. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, is a huge opportunity in itself, right? I mean, that's the world we live in. I no longer have to type things to communicate with people. I can just talk to the device. It could be my laptop, it's running Windows. I can use Cortana to be able to interact. I could use Siri on my phone. I could use Alexa on my devices at home. Why aren't we making the rest of our systems that we use at work so easy to use? 
And that's, I think, a challenge for all of us in this field as we think about making the experience better. We've got to make these things easier for people to use. It's easier said than done, but I would uh, leave with that thought. Definitely. How anything? Yeah. I want what he wants. <laughs> <laughs> but I also want, uh, you know, thank you, Smart, for uh, stepping up for, for this kind of conversation. I, I found that uh, uh, if you could help us, the data integration yeah. uh, sounds like an old topic. Yeah. But it's really important, especially now, right? Yeah. You, know, you, you can see we can help you. You don't have to make an appointment yourself. Right. But imagine, okay, we can send your patients, uh, you know, hospitalization ADT events to you, and we can send their lab results in first day uh, availability and give it to you, and you can make a quick decision. So that is a timeless, ageless yeah. demands, and I hope you guys do it well. So, yeah. Well, I think that would be a perfect uh, version two follow-up because, no, as I mentioned before, there's no other part of the country that experiments more than the state of New York, and not all of it sticks, but there's a ton of good learning, and so we tend to be involved, as you do, uh, in a lot of the different programs. Some of them succeed wildly, some of them don't, but all of them are integrated care models, right? So how do you share information? How do you manage transitions of care or how do you track populations across different care venues? So um, we'll take that as a, a B2 episode and uh, follow up on that because I know that you all are involved in some really interesting stuff that the rest of the population would benefit from. So thank you very much for our time today. It was a great conversation and I look forward to, to B2. Thank you. Thank you. At NetSmart, we understand the challenges facing provider organizations. Our team will help you navigate changing value-based care models with solutions and services that make person-centered care a reality. We'll equip you with technology and services that provide holistic, real-time views of care histories that inform better decision-making and better outcomes. Visit us today at ntst.com. NetSmart, serving you so you can serve others. Thanks for listening to the NetSmart Care Threads podcast. Through collaboration and conversation, we can work together to make healthcare more connected than ever before and better support the communities we serve. To ensure you never miss an episode, please subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you use Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give us a quick rating for the show. Just tap the number of stars that you think the podcast deserves. Until next time.